Welcome to the Cox Plate edition of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. The hundredth running of the Cox Plate was one like we've never seen before. However, it was an increasingly familiar scene on the track with two international raiders, Sir Dragon A and Armoury, fighting out the finish in Australia's premier wait-for-age race, overrunning the highly fancied Russian Camelot. While in Sydney, Palpser secured its biggest career win to date with an all-the-way victory in the $1 million Bondi Stakes. As always, to talk through all the action, which started on Friday night with Haydock winning his second Manicato, is the Herald Sun's number one tipster, Chris Venuccio. Mate, it was a very busy day for you yesterday, I understand. What did you make of all the action and Sir Dragonay's big win? Hello, Phil. Yeah, busy day, watching the races and at work as well, and it was a great cox plate. Wasn't the result... I won't say that. I was going to say it wasn't the result I was expecting, but... I won't, that's not quite accurate. I was expecting the internationals to run well, but I just thought the way the money was going for that Cox Plate, it just pointed towards Russian Camelot bolting in, and it looked like heading to the straight, that's what's going to happen. But I think maybe that a tough run at the start just told in the end, and the two Raiders, so Dragon A and Armoury, just got him in the end. Yeah, Russian Camelot jumped well, which is not something we always associate with the horse, but it got itself up to the front, but it did have to do a little bit of work to get there, and I thought it was very well ridden by Damien Oliver and, and beautifully placed in the running, but, you know, over over that sort of hard 2,040-metre distance and pretty decent pace being put on by Grand Slam, it just told towards the end with its 56.5 kilos, and we were discussing earlier off, the, off air how... You know, it is a Northern Hemisphere three-year-old, so, you know, weighted a little bit harshly for in a weight-for-age scale with, with 56.5. And, and I think it just told at the end with the two uh, the two internationals overrunning it. But, yeah, held on well. And when you look at the race more generally, it was almost a race in two, two halves, wasn't it? We had seven horses go over almost together over three or four lengths and then another almost another race out the back there. So I think if you won one of those horses in the first seven, uh, you can be pretty happy with how things panned out, how your horse performed. But uh, Sir Dragon, eh? amazing performance. Um, the money definitely came for it, late Big V. I know because I had a little spec on it at $12 about five minutes before the race and uh, I think it ended up starting $7.50, so there was a fair bit of money for it as well. Yeah, you're right there. Twelve dollars into seven dollars fifty, so they came for it late. I was a little bit of the three internationals. I was a little bit against it because it had that form around Buckhurst, and this is where the international form lines are so hard to to decipher. Particularly when they come in Australia, it's all it's all different. It's how they settle in. And because Buckhurst has been a bit of a flop in his two runs here in the Caulfield Cup and the Cox Plate, I sort of put that as a negative for Sir Dragon So I had Armory and Aspeter ahead of him. But he, he just looked outstanding mm. in well, the way he won. He was, and I, I stayed away from Armory. And the reason for that was that Sir Dragon in their most recent meeting just waltzed straight past it. So I thought if I am going to have a bit of a, a throw at the dartboard, which often it is when you're looking at these international horses, I'd at least choose the one that, um, you know, sort of was at a little bit of value, but also seemed to uh, have, you know, at least Armoury covered uh, in its previous meeting. Now, 
when they were rounding the turn and Armory hit the front, I was uh, almost immediately regretted that decision. But, yeah, a great ride by Glenn Boss to sort of find that gap between rushing Camelot and Armory and, and get the job done. Yeah. Again, you make a good point with the Sadragonay Armory um, race. I was in the Gold Cup, but since then, Armory has probably gone a. Is Armory, because Armory's. A th- I think he's a three year old by Northern Hemisphere time, so I think in the same situation as Russian Camelot. So he's still an inexperienced horse, still developing. And I think in his last two runs, he's he had improved and, you know, running behind two stars in the Irish champion stakes. I think I suppose that's why he was the, you know, the, the international that was being pushed for the race. And again, with Sir Dragon A, I mean, we're talking about this form behind Magical. Well, Sir Dragon A's got that form with Magical as well. So in the Cox Plate, it's all stacked up. Yeah, and look, we'll have to go through this all again when we uh, get to the Melbourne Cup in a, a week and a bit's time with all this international form and trying to line it up. But the horse I wanted to touch on is the one that you actually had on top. And, you know, it was one of the uh, more interesting rides and runs of the of the, of the uh, race, uh, Arcadia Queen. I noticed in running, I just was just happening to glimpse out the back and I noticed that she knuckled and suddenly she was back up. And I, I, I didn't quite believe my eyes at the time because I was sort of watching a few horses. But turns out that she did just clip heels and did hit the ground for a moment and... Yeah, it probably wasn't one of Willie Pike's better efforts that whole uh, performance. I'm wondering. I'm interested from you though, Big V, given you were on the horse. Yeah, I was very disappointed with the ride, and I know I'm talking out of my pocket, but before I, you know, question a jockey's ride and tactics, I want to look over the replay again, and and I I did that a couple of times, and I I just thought he was very passive on her. I mean, she she drew eight. And Armory's drawn six. Armory's being talked about as one of the main dangers in the race. There was an opportunity for Pike to get on the back of Armory and track that horse in the run, and he didn't do that. And I think that's what separates... I'm not, and I won't phrase it that way, but you look at a jockey like Damien Oliver and Craig Williams, and they do ride to their horse's strengths, but they also have at the back of their mind... Who's the danger in the race? Where Where is he going to be in, in the run? And, and they ride their horse to what the opposition is doing. And I don't think Willie Pike did that in the Cox Plate. I mean, so he could have he could have got a run behind Armoury without putting Arcadia Queen out of her comfort zone. Yeah, I guess it's always hard in those types of races. But uh, Arcadia Queen, I think that was a pretty good performance. I mean, there was a lot of question marks about her ability to handle the wet. I, I think they were squashed throughout the race because I think she showed that she could run on quite well in those conditions. But, yeah, just I think a few things went wrong um, more generally for her in the run. And, yeah, if you, you do like her, and I know you do, I wouldn't be jumping off her moving forward. And certainly a, a good effort. Yeah, it should be a good chance in the McKinnon maybe if yeah. they go there. Um because it was a big run from Mugatu, and I thought Mugatu had the the run that Arcadia Queen should have had. So I think she's a better horse than Mugatu, and if he's you know finished so close, I, I just I wonder where Arcadia Queen could have finished herself if she had got a more positive ride. Maybe she wanted she wouldn't have been good enough to beat Sir Dragon A or Armory, but maybe could have been the difference between running top three because. 
Russian Camelot, I think, maybe did have a, a little bit of a tough run early from the barriers. Nothing wrong with Damien Oliver pushing forward. I think he did the right thing to try and find the spot. But he did get caught a little bit wide when they went past the winning post the first time and around the first bend before Oliver was able to find the slot. So I just wonder, yeah, if Arcadia Queen had been ridden a little better, you know, I think that might have cost her a top three finish. Funny you mentioned uh, the ride on Mugatu. I, I think Mugatu had one of the tougher runs of anyone in the Cox Plate, which makes its performance even uh, even better, I guess, because it did loom on the turn as being almost a, a, a contender for the win, but it raced a lot of the race three wide, no cover, and, and uh, sort of going around the back there was out four wide at times as well, so it was a massive effort to run fourth in the race. Um, perhaps Arcadia Queen could have jumped on the back. Of, of that particular horse and got itself into the race a little bit better. But we might now, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Cox Plate and moving forward to uh, the Melbourne Cup later on, Big V, but we might just move straight to our Shooter Bactits for the weekend and we'll go straight to yours because it does have implications, I suppose, moving forward to next week in the Derby and you you thought you should have been on Cherry Tortoni. I'm, I'm surprised you weren't, mate, after a couple of the more fancied runners came out. Yeah, I think that's... Why I was putting it in because I had Young Werther on top, and when he was a late scratching, I just didn't react to the situation. I just I just thought maybe Cherry Tortoni was getting a little bit too short now because of that scratching, and I know that she was a four dollar fifty favourite in the Spring Champion Stakes, but yeah, it might have been a few issues there. But I think I just wanted to see him just run at the 2040, see if he, he could get that distance. And he showed that he can. And if, if they push on to the derby, he's, he'll be the one to beat. Yeah, it's going to be a very different run in the derby, I, I think. And obviously the extra 500 metres can find out a lot of horses. But I noticed that Young Word, even though it didn't run yesterday, is still the favourite for the derby. So uh, it's only had two starts as well. So it's very hard to sort of make too much of an assessment when you, you, have, you haven't got much of a form line to work through. But... You certainly can't take anything away from Cherry Tortoni yesterday. Uh, I thought the second horse there, too, um, just about uh, was worth uh, noting as well. Quake, Quake. Quake, Quake, that's it. Sorry. Um, And, uh, yeah, I thought it was running along nicely at the end, too. So there's a couple of decent horses to come out of that one. But I can see why you were disappointed, Big V, because once Young Werder came out, I thought the race really opened up nicely for Cherry Tortoni. And even though Cherry Tortoni's margin wasn't that big in the end, I think the official margin was a nose. I, I thought that the, the commentators did note that once he hit the lead, he just sort of wandered a little bit. Yeah. So I think I think he's a better horse than Quay Quay, and that form ties in with Young Werther. But he probably hit the front too early because he was just a better horse and just dazed a little bit so I think he could have won by a little bit more and and the first two horses have gapped third by seven lengths so mm. yeah I don't think there's a lot of depth in this derby and I think you can't go wrong with Cherry Tortoni and then Young Werther Quay Quay behind him. Moving on to my shooter back to Big V and I'll, I'll, I'll go over to Randwick in race seven there and I know this is a horse that you're pretty keen on as well and I do have fond memories of a particular Bucks party that we were both on. Uh, it might have been your one, where this horse did uh, a great job for both of us late in the day. But uh, it's called Positive Peace in race seven. And look, I, I'm blaming Channel 7 for missing this one, Big V. I'm there watching their, their exclusive coverage of Randwick and, 
and Mooney Valley, and straight after the Cox Plate, they switched their programming to, uh, I think, the AFL coverage or the lead-up to the AFL Grand Final. And I'm sitting there responding to text, getting ready for the next race at Randwick, and it's not coming on the screen. So I've uh, done a quick flick, and the race was halfway done. And Positive Peace is definitely one that we've both been following. I think we had it as a horse to follow uh, in one of our earlier podcasts. It started 17. It really looked suited by the conditions yesterday, and I think we'll probably both agree on that. It was sort of getting into its prep where it does its best work, fourth run in the prep, and it was definitely one I was keen to get on. And, yeah, mate, missed it, and it's come out and won beautifully in the end. Yeah, she's very good on the wet track. And, yeah, that day we that I backed uh, back in March, or, yeah, March, yeah, that was a heavy track, and she bolted in. Yeah, she's one that I missed as well, but... You know, she was, she was coming off. Uh, she was coming off a disappointing run, the start before, where she was in the market and she got beaten quite well. I thought that was a race where she she probably should have she probably should have won. So I stayed away from her. But I just thinking that the heavy track she might improve. And in the run, I just thought, oh, you're going to win this race. And yeah, I saw you the price. And... Yeah, you could tell early that it was well positioned to win it. And I think you're right. It was the track conditions that led me to really jump on it. Uh, I think the previous run you could probably forgive. It was was a pretty quality race, but she she didn't run on how you would have liked. But at the same time, I think the track was hard. I don't think the conditions quite suited, but it all looked set up yesterday. And when you're looking $16, $17, Big V, you don't really matter if it's 100%, does it? I mean, you just can have a small bet and still do pretty well. So, yeah, definitely disappointed. I suppose that factor... I suppose it's that price because she was dropping back from 16 to 12, which is usually when you see that, you just don't go anywhere near them. Cause that, but on the heavy on a heavy track, and it was getting heavier as the day was going on, that 1,200 would have felt like 14. Yeah. So that takes away you know, that uncertainty there. And maybe she doesn't run the 1,600 as well. I mean, when, we back, when she won in March, that was 1,500. And then she was well beaten next start at 16 in the Queen of Queen of the Turf. Mm. So maybe 15 is her limit. And maybe she's um, better at that 14-metre distance, which on Saturday it would have felt like for her. Yeah, for sure. Well, we might move to my should have sacked it for the weekend, Big V, because we'll stay at Randwick and we'll move over to race five. And I gave Girl Tuesday one last chance, mate. I think I'm being very uh, generous with that, but... It started favourite and, look, from the beginning was gone, Girl Tuesday. It bombed, completely bombed the start. I think about I missed the start by about eight lengths and never got into the race. I don't think Girl Tuesday went past one horse in the entire run, finished stone motherless and, uh, yeah, definitely a um, disappointing way to watch that race because if you're backing a favourite or if you're backing any horse, you want to at least see it be competitive and get into the race at some point. But at no point was Girl Tuesday any chance of winning that race. Um, and I doubt it would have been any chance even if it hadn't bombed the start, to be honest. So I might just be avoiding Girl Tuesday from moving forward because, yeah, it was just, again, a disappointing effort. I know that Nashra Willard tried to make her a non-runner, but unsuccessfully. I know she had a bit of... just unfortunate how she jumped out of the barriers. Yeah, Nash said that she had a nose caught over the over the side before they jumped these type of horses when they become non-winners they just find all sorts of problems and <laughs> i was on girl tuesday stakes day last year 
and she was very disappointing and I thought, I'm not going to get sucked in by you. She produces these runs occasionally where you think they've got to back her next start. If they can't, if they're not winning, just stay away from them. If they happen to win eventually, just think of the money that you had saved <laughs> up until that point where the horse finally does win. So yeah, yeah I'm with you. I'll just I'll I've stayed away from her for the past 12 months and I'll keep doing so. Particularly when they start favourites. So it's not like we're getting amazing odds to find out. Uh, so, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, Big V. But your should have sacked it for the weekend was a grey. And it was a wet day yesterday, mate. So surely all the greys won. But graceful glamour couldn't quite get the job done for you. No, and I've put graceful glamour as the sacked horse because I know, although being a grey, she doesn't have... <laughs> good wet track form and she was coming off a big rating last start and then she she ran okay at the valley the start but on, on that night meeting i think it was on moya stakes night mm. so naturally no sorry she was disappointing that night but she was well backed on that on that occasion but i thought when the rain came i thought she's going to be a big risk and she was and she's run nearly last which was pretty disappointing so you know I had her on top. Uh, when I do my form, I always do it on the expectation it's going to be a good track mm. because you, sometimes you just can't trust the the weather predictions. You know, they predict rain, it doesn't come, and then you've done your form for a soft track that never comes. But this is, but this mare, yeah, she just doesn't go a yard on soft ground, and you know, just had to sack her on the day. Oh, Big V, I thought you were making a bit of a, a go for the chief meteorologist at the at Channel 7 during the week. You were showing me all kinds of screenshots of storm clouds moving in, and I thought Big V's all over this. He knows what's going to happen on race day. So I'm a bit, bit disappointed to hear that you are, you're, not, you're not making those predictions anymore. But uh, one of the big race days that we didn't get any rain on was the Manicato. In fact, we had a rock-hard track, and we saw a number of course records as a result of that on, on the good three on the Friday night. And one of, the, one of those horses that did particularly well was the uh, Haydock, who managed to win its second Manicato. But uh, I guess I wanted to talk more generally, Big V. We saw over the two days at Mooney Valley some, I thought, pretty disappointing fields. I, mean, I know the weather might have had a bit of a, a bit to say with that, but we did have a lot of dual acceptors over the two days. And I just getting wanted to get your opinion on, on the program over those two days because uh, it just seems doesn't seem to be as strong as it has been over previous years and perhaps it's time that some adjustments are made. Yeah, without getting... You know, too detailed about the the programming and rock races and the distances. We do have a lot of dual acceptors, and I think you know maybe the Mooney Valley Racing Club or Racing Victoria just have to have a look at those two days and and try and get more differentiation between the races. You, I mean, you look at a horse like Written Beauty, mm. which was scratched from Saturday because of the potential weather, and runs on. Friday night, and there's other other races as well. Like you got a nine fifty five meter race on one day, and you got a thousand meter race the next, which are pretty similar conditions. So I think you just got to have a look at at what the program is. Maybe change the you know maybe the the standard of the race so they become benchmark races. So then you know so horses that you know that you can't dual accept. 
So I think something's got to be looked at just so we can get strong fields. Because race one on Saturday, we only had five horses, or four or five horses, and we don't want to be seeing that. Yeah, well, it was good. I know that you've mentioned previously about the fact that the Everest has really impacted the Manicato, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's there and the evidence is to be seen with the fields that we are getting in that. But it was good to see trekking back up at least in the Manicato and start favourite and, and run pretty well in that, or I think it ran second in the end. But, yeah, it just doesn't seem to have the balance quite right at the moment. I think they will have to look at that moving forward and, and make some adjustments, uh, particularly, as you say, with the competition that's now coming from New South Wales um, racing as well. And there's just a – doesn't seem to be the the level of racing and the size of the fields that you want to see in these big meetings like the Cox Plate and Manicato meetings. No, we're not seeing the Sydney horses as well come down because they, they get to stay because they've got their big races. And in Sydney, you know, the biggest race of the day wasn't the Cox Plate. It was the Bondi Stakes. And you had a – it was a pretty ordinary field for a million-dollar race, but it's enough to keep some of those horses away from Melbourne. And, you know, you look at Peltzer, Prime Star, you know, there's spring-quality horses for some of our races, you know, secondary races down here. You know, maybe the Sandown Guineas or, you know, one of those races on Derby Day or during the Melbourne Cup Carnival, and we're not going to see them. And I thought the biggest disappointment was destination running in Sydney rather than Melbourne. You know, it was running in a listed race that's worth the same amount of money as the Group 3 race at the Valley on Saturday. Mm. So that was disappointing as well, that we're not getting some of that Sydney competition, but both jurisdictions have to are looking out for themselves. But you just want to see, you know, more cooperation with the, the pattern of the races. Yeah, well, the Bondi was quite an interesting race. It's not one that we had down to discuss, but for me, it felt like sort of a Group 3, Group 2 type level race with the horses that were in it. I mean, Peltzer, we've seen that it hasn't been quite up to that Group 1 level in its racing. Um, last start, it won a nice Group 2, and again, it won really comfortably yesterday, actually. It was quite an impressive performance, winning by about three lengths. But, yeah, for a million-dollar race, it's not a bad little prize if you've got a horse that's sort of at that Group 2, Group 3 level to pick up. And likewise, yeah. Destination, it didn't actually win the race, Big V, so I'm not sure why you're so disappointed that didn't come down, but <laughs> I do get your uh, well, point. Well, it's probably a relief because I, I was going to make it my best bet if it came down to the valley. So it probably saved me a few dollars that it didn't come down because I don't get too carried away having a, a bet into a six-horse, seven-horse field. <laughs> so that saved me there. But going back to the Bondi, although it was a, a race that lacked a lot of depth and was you know, disappointing on paper, I thought it wasn't a bad betting race to have a go in I mean, I was keen on Prime Star, and that's got out to $4. So you're getting a second favourite that's paying $4. And I think maybe the deteriorating conditions was against him because he he looked in the perfect spot, had the 1-1, one, one, looked like he was ready to strike. And I don't think he just let down on that heavy track. And the worst performance of his campaign has been had been first up on, on the heavy when he was beaten about. 20 lengths or something so I thought the conditions are against him and I was happy to take on Elizabeth and Acrophobic it's just the favourite was too good on the day yeah one thing I didn't quite understand about 
the, the discussion of that race was all the talk of Peltzer not being able to run out of 1,600 metres because it had beaten this field last start over 1,500. So what was to say it couldn't run the extra 100 metres and beat them again? I was particularly given it hadn't actually run at that distance before. I mean, we saw that earlier in the year with, um, earlier in this carnival with Dame Giselle and Hungry Heart. You know, every time they went up to a, a new distance, Hungry Heart was going to beat it. And I know it eventually did, but I think sometimes we get a little bit caught away thinking, seeing a nice run, carried away, sorry, seeing a nice run from a horse coming and thinking, oh, gee, next time it's going to be able to go past it, but maybe it just get, gets beaten on its merits, which is why I was happy to stick with Peltzer. And I think the market, in the end, was happy to stick with Peltzer too. Yeah, you make a good point there. The reason I was with Prime Star is in that Stan Fox, he was jumping 1,200 to 1,500, and from the wide barrier, they went back to last, and he gave Peltzer a big head start. I was expecting here that with both horses drawn next to each other, Peltz, uh, Prime Star will get the back of Peltzer, which Tommy Berry did. And he'll be a lot closer to him and ready to strike, and the extra 100 might be enough to, to see the, the results reverse. I just didn't bank on the track being a heavy eight, which may have played into Peltzer's hands. Yeah, look, I think both tracks, certainly early at Mooney Valley, was, was definitely there was a, uh, at least a perception that the bias was two leaders and those on pace... Uh, that could hug the rail, particularly at Mooney Valley. And I think we saw something pretty similar at Randwick with some of the not too many horses coming from the back and winning races at that particular track yesterday. But and I while to... you make that point, the one horse we should talk about then is Creadiris. Yes. Which is a good horse and he's the type of horse because of, he's, he's getting spruiked. He's always going to be under the odds. But he was stepping up in, in grade here. I mean, he's running against... You know, the likes of Cuba, who ran, I think, ran second to Probabil a couple of starts ago. Um, you know, Royal Celebration is no mug. You know, he went on a, a good winning streak in the winter. And Ranier is good on his day. I thought he was, I thought he'd run top three. I thought he was a bit short at $1.70, $1.80 for his pattern. And that was the case. I mean, he just gave Cuba to begin of a head start. Yeah, he just has a tendency to flop out of the gates at the moment. I think if they can get a bit more... Once the horse gets a bit more experience and he's jumping a little bit better, they can maybe be a bit more positive in the run and doesn't have to make up 12 lengths on the turn like it tried to yesterday because I really only had Rainier as its main danger in that race. It's the only one I thought it had to go past and it was giving... It was getting 10 kilos off it. So I thought, gee, it's it's well set up to win that race. But when you flop out of the gates and you're giving... Horses like Cuba, that kind of start, you, you have to be pretty good to catch them. And to its credit, it, it got pretty close given how much of a start it gave. But, yeah, uh, definitely one for the black book, that horse. But yeah. uh, it does need a little bit more race experience, clearly. Yeah, and it's pumped to beware at the moment if you're going to take short odds on him. I mean, if you're getting $3, $4, all right, you might have a crack on him. But you're getting $1.70, $2.00. I'm happy to just watch him until he improves his manners. For sure. Now, we discussed it a little bit earlier on in the podcast, Big V, but the derby is coming up this weekend and obviously a big day of racing in Victoria, probably the the premier day of racing in Victoria, actually the derby day. And I did want to talk about the race itself. You mentioned off the top Cherry Tortoni was your top pick. I guess we don't have to go in too much detail, but just in terms of the market, Young Werther on my market here is $5. You've got Cherry Tortoni at 6 
hit the shot at six, Alvarado at seven, and let's crack a deal at seven. So it's a pretty open market, as you'd expect in a derby. So uh, outside of Cherry Tortoni, are there any other horses there that you think are a, a decent chance to win the race? No, not really, but I don't have a very good record in the derby. But I just think the form leading up to this race is just not very strong. I mean, Alvarado won the Norman Robinson last week, and... That was a, a real bunch finish and a race that you couldn't get excited of. And and the start before that, he's finished a length behind Young Werther and Quay Quay. So, you know, it's just the same form lines with those horses. And I just think if Cherry Tortoni can run out the 2,500, I think there's a bit of... There looks to be a little bit of class with that horse compared to the rest. And I think that's what it comes down to. If he can run the distance... I think he's got, yeah, a couple of lengths on the opposition. Yeah, it's always the big if in that race, and that's what we like to see. And often we have horses that go on to do things uh, in subsequent Melbourne Cups from the Derby. So, yeah, it's always a big race to watch. And, yeah, obviously a lot of unknowns moving into it, which is why we have such a open field for that event. But one race I'm really keen on, I do like my sprint races, is the Coolmore. Um, and interesting that I noticed Farnham is now in that race after obviously missing the, the Everest uh, last week and has been installed as favourite now, that $5 with September Run, Anders and Swatsat in behind it. So I've been following September Run and Swatsat, but Farnham certainly throws in a little bit of a spanner in the works in that race. Yeah, the Coolmore is probably the race that I look forward to the most every year. Now, I've had good success in this race and I've also missed out a couple of times but you know, last year was all keen on exceedance and we got the money there this year i'm not so sure about the race there's a lot of question marks and farnham you know we just don't know how good he's come back since his two-year-old days i mean his first up run has been well documented and he's then he's had a setback so just don't know what to do with farnham if he if he can get back to his golden slipper win and or Obviously, as a three-year-old, should be improving on that. He could be the best horse in the race. It, it feels like forever since that race, doesn't it? All the way back yeah. at the start of the uh, the carnival, almost, uh, that that race occurred. A lot has happened since then, and we haven't seen it race again. So, I mean, we're taking it on trust in a lot of ways because yeah. that day we, we didn't learn anything other than uh, perhaps it went out a bit, bit keen with Hugh Bowman on board, but... Yeah. With that in mind, I'd be pretty keen to maybe work around it, uh, to be honest, Big V. Yeah, I probably might be doing that as well. I mean, I was on September run last start. I thought that was a big win. It beats Swats that as well. And I, I thought both horses, I think, had a run down the straight, but I think September run was the, the better one. Anders could be a risk at 1,200. The one that... I've got my eye on at the moment is Wild Ruler coming down from Sydney. I think that's a Snowden horse. Mm -hmm. Um, That's coming out of a good race where he won very well. And Glenn Fiddick. Glenn Fiddick I'm not so sure about. Um, 1,600 back to 12. I've made the mistake one year of backing um, uh, the the name of the horse I can't think of at the moment. I think it was the Kenny Keys horse that won the Caulfield Guineas. It won the Guineas prelude, then ran second in the Caulfield Guineas and then backed up into the Coolmore next start. I was on him and just 
didn't do anything down the straight. So I'm always risk, I'm always wary of horses dropping back from 16 to 12 in the Cornwall. I'm also wary of horses that haven't run down the straight as well, which is where horses like September run do have that advantage. You know they're going to be able to do it. They've done it before well. Whereas a couple of these horses, especially those ones coming down from Sydney, horses, you know, it's a different racing pattern down the straight. And also a lot of horses get lost doing it. So I'm keen to stick with horses that have shown that they can do that, which is why I'm, you know, I will be, you know, probably going towards horses like September Run uh, looking forward. But we discussed Wild Rule a couple of weeks ago, even in, you know, discussions around the Everest as well. So obviously a quality horse coming down there from Sydney. But and that horse that I was talking about, I've just done a quick online search. <laughs> yeah, very quick. Was, was rich enough. Ah, yeah, of course. Which is, uh, you know, outstanding sprinter. I was on him in the Caulfield Guineas where he just got beat by shooting to win, then trained by the Snowdens. He was a big winner in the Guineas prelude. And I, I just thought, you know, going back to a sprint trip, he's a sprinter. He should, you know, bolt in this race, but... When, when you're dropping back from a, a mile distance, it is pretty tough. Yeah, and often we see some surprise winners in this race, not, not unsurprisingly as well, I guess. But the other race I wanted to talk about is actually up in Sydney, and it looks like to be a really good film for, field forming for the Golden Eagle. So obviously we've got Funstar and Alligator Blood who have had their... and Flip who have been uh, racing uh, up, up north, but also a couple of horses that have come across from WA that are now in Sydney, Superstorm and Windstorm in the market too. But it looks like Funstar's now the favourite for that race, which I, I guess isn't a surprise based on a couple of its more recent runs. But you can now get Alligator Blood $5, which is something that I didn't think I'd be saying a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's going to be a tough race. And one that I don't have a firm opinion of at the moment, but you think this has to be the race for Funstar. Probabil was pretty competitive in the Cox Plate. And I think Probabil might, might have gone ahead of Funstar in terms of their, you know, ability. But I think this could be the race for Funstar. Alligator Blood was okay last start without without it saying, you know, you've got to back me next start. So, yeah, not so sure. I think, yeah, Superstorm and Windstorm, I'm... I don't, I don't know about them yet. So I'll just have to have a deeper look at this but I'm looking at Funstar maybe being the one yeah I agree with you I'm just going back to your comment about Probabil I actually thought that was a huge run from it yesterday in the Cox Plate I know it finished seventh but not beaten far and the horse just didn't see out the distance so you know that that's over 1800 it's right in the race and I think it and Fierce Impact probably with both in that category where they didn't quite get the 2000 at that kind of intensity so yeah look Funstar good bet I'm not going to jump off Alligator Blood quite quite yet myself uh, but I think there'll be a few things to happen before Saturday before we can sort of knock down who our best selections are for that one yeah and just looking at the the WA horses, the Peters runners, I mean, Windstar, he was up in grade last start and just, I think it was just too much for him. So I'm going to be against him and Superstorm running two and a half lengths behind Mr. Quickie Buffalo River. He's had an unusual preparation, you know, 1100 to 14 to 2000, then back to 16, back to 15. It's just, it's, it hasn't looked like a preparation where it's building towards something. So, yeah, I might be against WA horses. Yeah, I just get the sense with Superstorm, they probably hasn't gone as well as they expected it to. 
uh, that they might have been able to set up a bit of a, a a program for the horse, but it just keeps on running on, but not quite getting up there in terms of you know finishing off races and being in the finish. So yeah, I'm happy to avoid those two as well. To be honest, Big V, uh, not because they're you know they've, they've performed well enough, but just not quite at that level for the Golden Eagle. But one race I wanted to touch base on. We're now we're down to our last race in our Big Four of the year, Big V, where you've tried to pick us a winner in the Big Four races. And the last one is the Melbourne Cup. And this won't be your last chance to give us your tip because we will have another podcast before the Melbourne Cup's run. But you've uh, flip-flopped around a little bit on the Melbourne Cup. And one of them, I admit, with Santiago wasn't your doing. But I guess I'm keen to hear whether the Cox Plate made any difference to your view on who was going to win that race this year. Because you had Prince of Aaron last week after its big Caulfield Cup performance. But... You know, we saw Sir Dragon A, we saw a Russian Camelot yesterday, we put in really good runs. And I, we even saw a nice run from Miami Bound, Big V. Have you seen an Oaks winner win a cup the next year recently? I don't think so, but I don't think that's happened for 30 or 40 years. But I'm keen to hear whether you've changed your view on that. Well, I was going to change my mind on the Melbourne Cup before the Cox Plate was run. But after the Cox Plate, I've changed my mind again. I'm going to go with Sir Dragon A. Because we know what he can do. We've seen what he's capable of. And I think that's what we'd like to see when the internationals come. We, love, we want to see them have a run before we get involved. And it's it's tough with the Melbourne Cup when you're getting the, the internationals that win without us seeing them. So that's giving me... Um, so that's made me put Dre, Sir Dragon A ahead of Tiger Moth at the moment. And we heard Glenn Boss after the run say that the horse was only warming up at the end of that race. So that's a bit of an ominous sign for those taking it on in the Melbourne Cup. And I saw that it immediately went into second favourite following that run. I think you can get $8 now, which is a short quote compared to what I imagine you were getting pre-race. So there we go. Big V jumped on Sir Dragon A. I'm guessing that you're going to have a new favourite by the time we speak next week. But I I, uh, certainly can't knock what it did yesterday and that it is a good prospect for the Melbourne Cup. And it wouldn't surprise me that Sir Dragon A starts favourite for the Melbourne Cup because you know, the local punters might gravitate towards that horse because we have seen seen him in action and and I suppose a lot would want to go with what they know. And the fact that he's um, that not very many Cox Plate winners go on and win a Melbourne Cup in the same year shouldn't be off-putting as well because it does mean they can't do it. A couple of years ago, Fiorente ran third or fourth in a Cox Plate and then won the Melbourne Cup. So it still can be a good platform for that race. Well, it's funny you say that. There's a lot of comparisons being made between Fiorente and Russian Camelot's run in the Cox Plate uh, yesterday as well. And I, I do have Russian Camelot as a horse to follow into the Melbourne Cup. I think at the moment you're getting $13, and I think the market's very tight for the Melbourne Cup at the moment. I, I wouldn't be betting into that race until till the day or the day before at the moment because you're getting horses like Tiger Moth at $6 and Surprise Baby $8, yes. Very Elegant 10 You're going to get better on the day with those, so I wouldn't be suggesting jumping on quite yet. But I don't think Russian Camelot did anything to uh, dilute its chances to win the Melbourne Cup. So I'm, I'm very keen to sort of see where it lands in terms of price and, and perhaps get on it. But I, guess... if I, suppose, I suppose if I'm going to go a step further and give a top three out, it would be Sir Dragon A, Tiger Moth and Russian Camelot at the moment. 
Question without notice, Big V. Very elegant. Would have it won the Cox Plate yesterday? I don't know. I mean, that is a hypothetical that we won't know the correct answer to. Now, on the wet track, yeah, she's a possibility. She, she beat Anthony Van Dyke, and Anthony Van Dyke's got that form around Sir Dragonet. Sir Dragonet got within one length of him in the English derby, but that was more than a year ago. So, yeah, she probably... Would have been a big chance. Yeah, I just I I always thought very elegant was better off going. I mean, far be it for me to know uh, to the Cox Plate rather than the Caulfield Cup. And I, in the conditions, I just think she would have bolted in yesterday. That's just a personal opinion. We'll never know. But I just sprung to mind as I saw her in the market there for the Melbourne Cup. But we might now move on to our horses to follow. So I've just re- mentioned Russian Camel. I think you can definitely stick with it. It'll get a couple kilos relief in the Melbourne Cup, as will a number of those horses that went around yesterday. Um, you mentioned that five-horse race at the start of the day yesterday at Mooney Valley, which Ancestry won, and that's definitely a horse to keep an eye on moving forward. I think it's seven from 12 now, and it doesn't just win, it bolts in. So it's a, it's a good horse on the up, Ancestry. And there's another horse up in Doombin, of all places, that I got on yesterday uh, called Perito, which uh, it's only had its second win yesterday, but it, it looks to be a horse, particularly if you are betting up in Queensland, that... You want to keep an eye on because it, 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 the way it won yesterday, it was it was tucked away in a, a challenging position there in race six and managed to get out and storm home late and, and get the chocolates quite comfortably in the end. So they're probably my three horses to follow. But I'm keen to hear what what you're thinking, Big V, and who you'll be following moving forward. Yeah, I'll keep this simple. I'll stick with Cherry Tortoni if it heads towards the Derby. I'm going to also stick with Prime Star if it. Finds another run before going for a spell, but on a good track. And then maybe the same for Wonder Bar, they ran second to positive piece. Maybe on a, a good track, that could be the difference for her as well. Sounds good, Big V. Now, I just wanted to finish with a listener question that I got yesterday, Big V. In fact, I wasn't going to do a listener question for today's podcast, but I did get one that came in by text, actually, and... It's so relevant to what happened yesterday, I feel like we should discuss it. So it's from Andrew, and he said, thanks for the tip. And I like to include this one too because it gives us a bit of a bit of a pat on the back, Big V. It says, thanks for the tip in the podcast a few weeks back to follow in Jamie Carr. I had a massive fill-up yesterday on her horses. Is she the best hoop in Australia at the moment, Big V? So obviously Jamie Carr, four wins yesterday, including a couple of those we've mentioned, uh, Miami Bound, La Mexicana in the last uh, Sovereign Award and I think Sneaky Five earlier in the day too. But what what, what are your thoughts there, Big V, uh, what Andrew's mentioned there? Best hoop in oh, Australia or they're better? Well, she's an outstanding rider. I mean, I, I don't like to annoy the jockey the best in the country because, <laughs> you know, they're, they're all pretty good. You've got Damien Oliver, James McDonald, Tommy Berry, Hugh Bowman. They're all, they're all good on their day. But what I will say is I think in Victoria, she's got to be in the top three best jockeys in Victoria. And I, I put Damien Oliver, Craig Williams and her in that group because, you know, with Ollie and Craig Williams, in the big races, they step up and perform. And she's the and she's just an outstanding jockey. If I was going to pick a jockey to ride my horse, it'd be one of those three no doubt, and Jamie Carr would be up there. And the great thing about her is she puts her horses 
in the race. You know, she gives them a chance to win. And that's what that's the reason why she's riding all these winners and I think she's leading the the Metro Championship as well or or the Victorian or the state championship. So that's what I like about yeah, Jamie Carr is a jockey. Well, I think it goes to your point earlier, actually, Big V, about thinking about not just where your horse is most comfortable, but the your competitors in the race too, where they're going to be positioned, how you want to build your horse into the race and who you need to keep an eye on. I think she really does do her, I guess, her form before the race and do, do, you know make sure that she knows exactly how the race is going to pan out. But, yeah, to Andrew's question, I'm kind of with you. I, I wouldn't make an assessment over Australia. It's, it's not comparing apples with apples. But certainly in Melbourne, if you're looking at the stats at the moment, she's on fire. And, and as you say, I think she is leading the jockey jockey table at the moment. Uh, and I think the thing about her compared to perhaps an Oliver and a, a Williams is that I think she's still got plenty of upside. I think she's still getting better which is probably not something you can say about those guys, but, you know, they're, they're champions, but obviously have sort of, uh, you know, have peaked in terms of their, their expertise. So the things I like about her, it's her balance that gets the horses over the line. She gets her horses very comfortable. She rarely, you rarely see her use the whip, which I think is really impressive. She's a hands and heels jockey and yeah. really balances her horses up. And if you want to see the best example of that, go back and watch the final race on the card from yesterday on La Mexicana, it was headed on, just as they got around the turn, it was headed by the, uh, the horse that eventually yeah. ran second. And she was inside it, so in the worst ground, you didn't give it a chance from that point. But she balanced it up, you know, got it straight, got into it, and I think she basically rode it to win, you know, yeah. through her skills rather than the horse itself. So that's an example of a, ho- a jockey being actually making a tangible difference to a result. When I do the form, I don't look at the jockey first. I look at the form of the horse, and then you make a judgment on who's riding it. So when you when you're doing your form and you like a horse, and it's in the market, and you got Jamie Carr riding it, that gives you extra confidence as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't go looking for Jamie Carr runners, but if I like a horse and she's on it, then that's just another tick that you you factor in particularly on wet tracks yeah actually i must say i did back three of her horses yesterday and i didn't actually realize she was on them until uh till after the race but i was very happy she was and miami bound was one of those and one of the better rides of the day i thought she sat last off the temp off a fast tempo and then followed the the favorite shared ambition into the race and just peeled out at the right time it's interesting that at the valley if I don't know if it was a bias or it was tempo-related, but it was advantageous to be leading, and a lot of leaders did win. But in the staying races or the 2,000-metre-plus races, it was the backmarkers that were winning those races. So I don't know if it was tempo-related, but it was just interesting that once they got to 2,000-plus, it wasn't necessarily the leaders getting the job done. Yeah, there seemed to be a clear bias early. I think the first five runners might have all been the leader on the on the fence. But I guess those sort of, when you've got sort of soft seven, heavy eight tracks, they do chop out. And I think and it was tempo related well. too. Sorry? And small fields yeah. without tempo as well. That's and right. Plus, plus they're good horses that were winning. I mean, you look at the starting prices of the winners and you've got a $1.20 favourite. Yeah, you had a two-year-old race, so you can't tell too much there. Uh, Portland Sky was an easing favourite I didn't understand. And you got, like, a sovereign award. So 
the horses that were deep in the market and expected to run well. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned Sovereign Award. I did back Sovereign Award, and going into the day, it's one horse that I wasn't going to. I was, I was quite keen around Parody in that race, but just seeing the early way that the, the races had been going, I actually jumped off Parody and onto Sovereign Award because I knew it would go out the front, be well-rated by Jamie, and, and get the job done. So that just shows also sometimes you've got to be a little bit adaptable, Big V, but... Uh, I might wrap it up for the podcast there, Big V. A massive few days of racing uh, over the last few days at Mooney Valley Carnival. And I think I thoroughly enjoyed it personally. I thought it was a great couple of days of racing. And we've only got more to come. We've got Derby Day this week. And we'll we'll sneak in a podcast after Derby Day and preview the Melbourne Cup and, and Oaks. Uh, and then obviously finishing off the Flemington Carnival on Stakes Day. So plenty to look forward to, Big V. Yeah, it's going to be a big day on Derby Day and, and the Cup Week as a whole. You just got to, the important thing is to just take it one meeting at a time. <laughs> one race don't at get, a time, Big V. Yeah, well, don't get too involved because, you know, the first race on Derby Day is usually, what, 10.30? So they fit in two races before midday. You know, if you back a couple of early losers, there's still another you know, 28 30 races to go for the week so it's all about pacing yourself <laughs> don't don't go too early mate okay i like i like the theory we'll, we'll see we'll see how we go with that but anyway thanks to everyone for listening it's been a uh, great to uh, have a chat about the cox plate and the, and the meeting and we'll um can't wait to bring you the derby day wrap uh, this time next week and as always good luck on the punt <laughs>